Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If it's Monday, it is Maester Class. This week's class features Dr. Ian McInnes. Ian is a Scottish historian, senior lecturer at the University of Highlands and Islands in Scotland. If you would like your question featured on Maester Class, book at baldmove.com. Here is Dr. McInnes. This is irregular. Uh, yes, well... I suppose that life is irregular. Ian, I feel like every now and again, I ought to get an update. Tell me what you're working on these days. Uh, what's the title of your book? Things like that. Um, my my existing book, uh, is my, my one monograph is uh, Scotland's Second War of Independence. Uh, so it's my, my monograph about the, the, the second phase of of Anglo-Scottish conflict and civil war within Scotland after the period that everybody knows uh, all about. Um, but at the moment, I'm, I'm doing a couple of things uh, in kind of article and chapter form. Uh, one focus has been on uh, one of the the noble women figures of, of the period I study, uh, a noble woman called Catherine Beaumont, uh, who is on the other side of the of the Scottish civil war. She's a, an English noble woman but but is besieged in a, a remote highland castle in scotland and so myself and a colleague have written a bit about her experience during that but i've been doing some research recently about uh, her time when she returns to england and, and what our what our post-war experience is so that's that's a focus at the moment and is there a key source or group of sources for her um, not, not really. It's kind of scattered references through the administrative uh -huh. record. Uh, th there's a couple of accounts of, of the siege of Loch and Daw, which is the castle she's besieged in, in uh, things like uh, Walter Bower's Scottish Chronicle and things. But, um, but yeah, she, she's an interesting figure, though, but, but there isn't that much about her. So it's trying to piece things together from what little is there. I wanted to pose a listener question to you. Hmm. I think I sent it to, in an email, so I'll just read the email. So this is a question from Andrew. Andrew asks, I was wondering if you could help me piece together the historical comparison to Jon Snow. I noticed the BBC series has historical comparisons for nearly everyone, save our Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Um, do you have any ideas about historical parallels for Jon Snow? Yeah, I mean, I think... The obvious connection is is a you know a King Arthur type connection. Of course, it's not historical; it's mm. mythical. But obviously, you know the potential successor to the throne uh, being brought up in, in another family and and only discovering his true lineage, uh, you know, as as his life progresses. That that, that and the whole sword thing and everything else. You know, the, the, there's a lot going on there that's quite Arthur esque. Um, yeah. So that, I think that was the obvious one. But I mean, I think in terms of just of his kind of bastardy. Um, that the, there are plenty of noble, illegitimate sons, and indeed royal, 
illegitimate sons, you know, dotted throughout throughout medieval history. And it is interesting to see them because they're, they're often treated relatively well. Um, you know, they, they are at various times. Medieval Scotland has a number of examples. They're raised within the king's household. There is recognition of his status because he is of the king, even if he's not a legitimate son. I don't think there's any there's ever any consideration of them potentially succeeding, but they are involved in you know royal business. They get granted lands. Um, they are part of the the wider nobility and that wider circle around the around the king because because they are also part of the of the extended royal family. So so I suppose if we look at John like that in terms of how he's treated by the Starks um, or at least by by Ned. Um, then, then he perhaps fits into that kind of, that kind of normal, mm. if that's the right way of putting it, uh, medieval approach. Yeah, I think it, it could be that this one, the most obvious one, is the best one. Um, mm. So I'm just wondering, in terms of Arthur, for people who aren't aren't really familiar with the legends, um, tell me about Arthur's sort of uh, hiddenness. And, uh, you know, the rightful king, you know, not where you would expect to find him, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got that idea of, of Arthur being raised in a noble house, but, but the recognition that it's not his family, um, you know, raised at a low level. He is just a squire um, to, to his elder brother um, and, and or foster brother or, or stepbrother. Mm-hmm. Um whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and yes, the, the, he has that kind of humble beginnings, um, which which are then changed by when the opportunity arises and he, and he takes the sword from the stone, which which reflects his, his actual, his true beginnings, which are his royal birth, uh, or his royal lineage, sorry. Um, and, and so I suppose there is, there is an element of that about John as well. Um, the, the Targaryen, legacy which he i suppose carries um is part of that um although of course it's only revealed to us very late on but there's, al- there's always been something suspicious about john uh, in terms of how his yeah, father or how right. his, his adopted father is treated um yeah so and I, I think I, yeah well i was just gonna say also you know arthur is something uh you know both in legend and sort of in legacy there is something almost prophetic about his return, right? Mm. So mm. it doesn't really fit one to one with John's situation, but you know we have this business about Azura High, and you know maybe John is f- f- the fulfillment of prophecy. Um, so it's not really a second coming uh, <laughs> of sorts, right? Um, no, absolutely. But but yeah, you, you have that idea of uh, the suggestion of, of Arthur. Potentially returning at at a, at a unspecific point in the future to save the kingdom when it's most needed, um, and yes, John's resurrection, although you know the obvious uh, Christ-like analogy as well, um, but but yeah, that plays into that too, I think. And again, I think this is another example of Martin. It seems as if Martin is as interested in the rumors and the myths that were generated in the medieval period as he is with the actual history. Um, so oh, I, yeah. I think that this it is not sort of outside of the kinds of things Martin will do. No, no, absolutely not. And, and, but I think we also have to remember that, you know, that, that 
the the creation of myths uh, was was just as much a part of, of medieval society as it is today and you know a lot of, of what we look back uh, at as as that kind of mythology was created in this period uh, or, or indeed the period before but it's then utilized for very um, current considerations in the period that it becomes favorable. Also, I suppose that the point about Arthurian legend as well is that it, that it is immensely popular at the time. Uh, you know, your chivalric tales about King Arthur and his knights uh, and the extended Arthuriana that, that, that is produced in mid, across medieval Europe is is so popular because it appeals to that chivalric class, that warrior class, who see in these tales the kind of ideals that they would like to live up to, even if they're not able to do so. And and I think uh, Martin very much riffs on that with his depiction of you know very real, very brutal conflict, but against that background of of the chivalric myths of of legend and and story. Although I suppose M Martin always leans heavily on the juxtaposition between the two, mm -hmm. uh, and show and shows the idea of chivalry to be inherently negative because, because you know it's it, it's all it's all just you know frippery, uh, none of it's real, <laughs> none of it's true, and and that, that I think that's a little bit harsh. Um, yes, medieval warfare is inherently violent and and at various times unpleasant, um, but it doesn't mean that kind of acts of chivalry can't happen. Yeah, it just yeah. depends think, on the individual and the content. Right, and I think that Martin likes to hide that kind of stuff in plain sight. It's like yeah. there are there are people that are kind of acting like true knights in Martin's world. The the hound sort of mm. being the scoundrel with the heart of gold, or yeah. you know, Brienne being the model knight in many ways, even though she mm. can't be a knight. And of mm. course, I think again, John is one of these heroes hiding in plain sight. Uh, and like you said, probably has a lot of Arthur baked into him. I think, um, you know, there's probably other, there's probably a bit of Jesus and Frodo <laughs> yeah. and, and Aragorn, yeah. you know, uh, uh, baked in there as well. So, mm -hmm. um, anyway, I appreciate you answering that question. Sure.